shirt. You all look very gorgeous from up here on the stage. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, I'm glad you came today. Why don't you follow that up with, how you doing? If you haven't met them before, maybe ask for their name. Hi, I'm, I'm waiting for them to respond. No, it's good to see you here this morning, church. I'm very excited to bring this message. I'm very excited for Holly's message, for Chris's message as well. We've been chatting a little bit about it this week, and we've all spurred each other on and been very excited about what's going to happen this morning. So it's a privilege to be able to speak in front of all of you and bring what I really feel like God's put on my heart for this week. And this week's theme is Open House. You know, here at Forever House, we're called to be an open house, correct? Would you say that's the case? We're an open house, called to be an open house. But to have an open house, first you need people. Here we are, we've got people. But second, I think more importantly, we need open hearts. So you can have a lot of people, but the house won't be open unless the hearts are open. So that's what I'll be touching on today. And this morning I'll be sharing three points on encouraging us to have an open heart to fuel this open house. Because without the open hearts, we can't fuel the open house and then the vision's lost. Amen? So I'll just be encouraging us there. And what I'm reading out of this morning is Luke 15, which is the parable of the lost son. And so everybody knows that story. It's a pretty good world-renowned story. And, um, you know, just a quick summary is the son asks the father for all of his inheritance, takes it, goes out, squanders it. And then he's like, oh, he's eating with the pigs. And he's like, oh, you know, my father's servants eat better. And so then he's like, oh, no, dad, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I've wasted all. And the dad's like, don't worry, mate, I'll love you so much. Just come here, quick, quick, quick. And so that's kind of pretty much how it turns out. That's kind of the Australian standard version, I guess. But I love the story. I love that, you know, we focus a lot on the sun and how God's love is always there for us and the house is always open. But this morning I'd love to focus specifically on the father. You know, I think that he sets a really awesome scene for an open house. What I love about the story is that the father sets the example of what an open house looks like. And so I'm just going to go through three action points this morning on how we can practically open our hearts or better open our hearts so that we can be an open house together. Is that okay this morning, church? Amen. I'll start with a prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this house, God. I thank you that we are an open house. We're an open house in unity. We're an open house as a family. Lord, that love is in this place, Jesus. That everyone who comes would feel your love, would feel connected, and encounter you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the first point I want to read out of is Luke 15, verse 20. And it says here, So he got up, this is the son, he got up and came to his father. But while he was a still long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion for him and ran and embraced and kissed him. Proactive. That's the first action point I want to start with. Why don't you turn to someone and say proactive. Proactive is the first point I want to touch on today. You know, the father saw him even though he was a long way off, which indicates to me, indicates to us, he was proactively looking. He spent time being proactive, looking. He was awake, he was aware, he was expectant. And I really believe that we need to be like this, and as much like this as we can. Proactive. You know, the father saw him even though he was far off, he was expecting it. You know, proactivity looks like this. I think we can be proactive in watching for the new people coming into the house. 
You know, watch for the new people coming through the doors. You know, the lost, because they're classified as the lost. They don't know Jesus yet. And we can be proactive just like the Father and look out for these people. I'm not saying we do it in a weird way where we're all kind of like at the cafe desks and we're like, got to be proactive. And someone new walks in and we're all just like, I love you. Like, it's all organic. It's an organic thing. What I'm encouraging is that it has to be a part of, in here, proactivity starts in the heart. It doesn't have to be weird, but it can be organic. It can be normal. Yeah. And, you know, the flip side to that coin is, I really believe it's important to be proactive, not just about the lost people coming to the house, but to the people that are already here. Proactively looking and watching and seeing your church family around you to see if they're lost in any circumstances in their life. If they're lost in any challenging times in your life, you know. We hear a lot about focusing on the lost, got to reach the lost, but we don't want to sacrifice that for the relationships we've already built. It's so important to be proactive with the people that are in your life. You know, look out for each other. And I think that's so important here in this church culture is that we love the people that are coming in, but it's only because we love here each other first. So I think that the main takeaways from those two points is be proactive in looking for new people when they come on Sunday. Very practical point, but also proactive in looking at your church family. You know, how you going? How you tracking? Look, I noticed you've just been a bit down lately. How you going? You know, people get lost in circumstances of life sometimes, and we all need help. So be like the Father. Be proactive, but with compassion. He was moved with compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion. That's where all of the drive came from, that compassion to help, that love for people. So be proactive, but also be compassionate, because I don't want proactivity to become just another task. Oh, I've got to be proactive. So, uh, hi, I'm Daniel. Just doing this because it's proactive. Like, we don't want to be like that. You know, we want to be natural, organic, and things like that, because we know we're human beings, not programmed robots. Amen? <laughs> The second point, I'm reading out of Luke 15, chapter 22, and it says, But the father said to his servants, Quickly bring out the best robe for the guest of honor, and put it on him, and give him a ring for his hand, and sandals for his feet. Number two point is, bring your best. Can you turn to someone next to you and say, bring your best? Or say, I'm going to bring my best. I'm going to bring my best. The father brought out the best robe because his son was the guest of honor. When his son came home, he was the guest of honor. You know, I believe that every person here, whether it's a newcomer or whether it's someone that comes every week, a part of the church family, deserves to be treated with honor, deserves to be received with honor. And especially the new people that are coming into the house, you know, this year we've got a week to grow the church. The new people in the house, I believe, then when they come in, they should be treated as a guest of honor. Not that they're better than anyone else. That's not the point, but they should be received with honor because that speaks volumes to people. You know, a lot of the reason why people have come here is because, or well, have stayed here after coming is because they were received with honor. You know, I can speak for my own family. My parents, uh, Henry and Silla, if you didn't know, you know, we came, I think, four or five years ago, and coming because we were received out of honor spoke, spoke volumes to us. When we came, we were honored. We were treated as those guests of honor when we were new. And that's the attitude that I believe we can all benefit from having. You know, the Father brought his best, so we need to bring our best to the people we encounter in the house. Now, what does that look like, bringing your best? It's, you know, it's things, being engaged, being intentional, encouraging, kind, loving. 
You know, in those one-on-one moments that you're having with someone new or with someone that you've known for a long time, it's being there, in the moment, being the best person you can be. It's not about coming on a Sunday and trying to be something else or be someone else or put on a mask and, you know, I'm going to be the best I can be and, hey, yeah, life's going really good and God is good and I'm winning because that's not always what life's like, you know? The highs are high and the lows are low. You know, we've got to be real. Be the best you you can be. And the best way to do that is to get closer to God because He'll show you who you are and He'll show you how to be you. So we need to bring the best to the people we encounter. You know, if you're serving on a Sunday, worship is so good. Let's give a hand for the worship team. So good. If you're serving on a Sunday and you're not directly involved with a person, the way you could bring your best is just be excellent. Be excellent at what you do. Put work into it. Be the best worshiper you can be. Be the best at... Uh, doing coffee as you can be. Be the best kids church leader you can be. Even though you're not directly involved with another human being in this space, you can still influence and show the love of God by being the best you can be in your craft and what you're called to do. And so, when you're the best that you are, it's funny because this kind of dropped and this saying will be forever engraved in my heart. When you give your best, people get blessed. I know it's a bit cheesy, I was like thinking about it today, I was reciting it today and I was just like, oh man, it's a bit cheesy, but you know what, it's good, you remember, and cheesy things are always the things you remember the most, so when you give your best, people get blessed, and so I can speak, that speaks volumes to my life, because when mentors and when people in this house have come to me and they've decided, not because they want anything out of it, but because they love me, they've given their best to me, I have been blessed beyond measure. And I think we can all take away from that about bringing your best. You know, when it's Sunday, it's time to come in. It's time to be filled with the joy of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. Leave everything else at the door and bring the best you. Amen? Amen. My third and final point that I'll be touching on, Luke 15, 24. For the Son of mine was as good as dead and is alive again. He was lost and has been found. So they began to celebrate. Everybody shout, celebrate. 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 The father celebrated the return of his lost son. He was joyful and excited about it. You know, we should be the same. Let's get excited. We need to celebrate when new people come into the house. That's a victory. When someone says yes to your invitation to church, that's a win. That's a win worth celebrating. And I'm not saying every time a new person comes to church, we have to get a birthday cake out and put candles in and then say, everybody, everybody, you have to stop because I got a new person, so we're going to celebrate. I'm not saying that. That's good. If you want to do that, you can. Maybe in your own home. But that's, um, it's good. It's good. It's, not, it's a good thing. Celebration is good. But what I'm talking about is... The celebrating of victories, being joyful, being excited about it. You know, when someone gives their life to Christ, it's a time to celebrate. It's a call to celebrate. You know, all of heaven rejoices when someone steps over into the kingdom of light. And so how much more excited can we be here in the moment, in this space and time, and celebrate this? Now again, on the other side of the coin, we should celebrate the victories each other have in our lives. You know, I, mean, I love about Forever Young, what I love about Forever Young, and it's not because I'm the leader of Forever Young with Holly or that I'm biased or anything like that. I just love that we have a culture of celebration. When someone does something good, we let them know. 
you let them know. So church family, when someone is broken through, you let them know. You celebrate them. You celebrate them. You know, when someone invites someone and they come, when you go up to meet them, hey, it's really good to see you here today. You know, you celebrate those people. You celebrate those victories. I think we would all benefit so much if we celebrated the victories of life. You know, joy is contagious. When it's exploding through celebration of people, it's even more powerful. You know, what I see celebration is it's like a firework that goes up. Joy is like the firework that goes up and when it explodes, it's a cause for celebration. You know, celebration is the manifestation of enthusiasm, encouragement, joy, love, all at any one time, just exploding through different people. And it's contagious. People catch on to that. You know, I'm glad we're a house that celebrates. And I love that we continue to celebrate because that's exciting. When you're telling someone who doesn't come to your church about what you do at your church and you're excited about it, you know, Super Sundays. Yeah, when we Super Sunday, we're going to celebrate. You know, that gets people thinking, you know, what's there? You know, if you can, people can latch on to things like that. Celebration. And celebration breaks up religion. Celebration really breaks up religion. You know, in the parable of the lost son, there's the brother. Don't be the brother. <laughs> Don't be the brother. You know, I was thinking, um, I felt reminded this week, you know when you go to a family reunion, and there's always like that one family member that just has like quarrels with everybody? And so it doesn't matter like how nice you are, even if it has to do with you, if you interact with the person they don't like, then they don't like you. So you're like at the food table and they're kind of like standing off to the side, like a bit awkwardly, because you know that they're having issues. And so you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? They're like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. And they just kind of like hang out in their own little space for a bit. Don't be that guy. <laughs> don't be the brother. Don't be that guy. You know, don't be that guy. Celebrate. But I think more importantly is, as we look in that, at that story, the father comes, he comes looking, he calls for the other brother. And the brother comes and, you know, he says all these things like, you know, how can you celebrate him? I'm paraphrasing here. He says, you know, I did this for you. I did all of this for you. I spent all of this time with you. I did everything you wanted me to do and you couldn't so much as give me a fattened calf to kill with my friends. You know, just so we could celebrate. I did everything for you. And he's quite upset and he's quite, quite distraught. You know, the father replies saying, you know, everything I have is yours. Yeah. And I think that's when the Lord spoke to me this week and said, task-focusedness. You see, the brother was so task-focused. He was so tunnel vision. He missed the point. He completely flew over his head. I know there's probably other things he was dealing with or whatever. But what stood out to me is that he was so task-focused. He just drilled in. I did this for you. I did that for you. I always stayed here. I stayed here. He, did, he left. I stayed. I did this. I did this. I did that. He missed the whole point. When you're overly task-focused, things can become religious. You just become a cult in another wheel of a bike you don't want to be on. And you don't want to be there. You don't want to be the brother. When you become so task-focused, your heart starts to close. It doesn't allow for celebration. It doesn't allow for you to bring your best. It doesn't allow for proactivity. And so if I can encourage you, church, being excellent in your craft is important. I'm not saying let's abandon all excellency and just do whatever and stuff like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that excellence should not come at the expense of people's lives. You know, things like, oh, 
oh, sorry, I can't talk to you because I'm just doing this right now. Yeah. You're doing that, you're doing that, and you just get lost. You miss the point. Completely miss the point about what church is about and what life is about. You know, John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love and unselfish concern for one another. Unselfish concern. Unselfish concern for one another. Imagine that. Everybody having complete unselfish concern for one another. Just having genuine love. Because that's how we're identified as disciples of Christ. The love. The love. You know, there are so many other ways and things that I think we can learn about being more loving, more compassionate and open-hearted, but I think these three points are a great way to start positioning ourselves to be people of an open house. You know, being proactive on a Sunday. You know, keeping watch for, for people that are new coming in, keeping watch for your own people, you know, heading towards people instead of seeing someone come in and follow And I say that because I've done that before, and there came, there came a time more recently where the Lord spoke to me and said, how long are you going to do this? How long are you going to keep this up? So I was like, oh, okay. But you can't, you can't do that. We've got to be proactive. We've got to love people. We've got to lead with love. You know, bring your best. You know, prepare yourself throughout the week. You know, this is a seven-day thing, building the church. You know, when you come here on a Sunday, people, some people are either going to have a great experience of church because of meeting you or a not-so-great experience of church because of meeting you. And so you've got six days beforehand to prep. <laughs> but it's a lifestyle thing. Walking with Christ is a lifestyle thing. And I don't say any of this so that you feel condemned or anything like that. I'm just putting a challenge out there to bring your best. Because it feels good. People are blessed when you bring your best. You feel good. They feel good. It releases something in the air that's unparalleled to anything else. And celebrate. You know, don't forget to celebrate. Let's not get so wrapped up in the things we have to do to put on all of this that we forget to celebrate each other, that we forget to celebrate people, because all of this is of no use if no one's here. <laughs> you know, we can be super excellent at what we do, but we can not have any people, and it's all for nothing. So I'd just like to encourage you in those things, you know, being proactive, bringing your best, celebrating, and they're all tied together with love. You do it because you love God, and out of your love of God, you love people more. So we thank you, God, for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we would go out, we would be more proactive, we would bring our best, Lord, for others and for you. God, we'd celebrate people, we'd celebrate each other, we'd celebrate the victories. We thank you, Jesus, for an open house in this place. Let our hearts always be open, always receiving. In your name we pray. Amen. Without further ado, I would like to invite the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my 21 years of living, Holly Jacobs. Thank you. I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed. Well, as I was listening to Dan's message, I actually hadn't heard it completely beforehand, and I realized that a lot of his points I actually touch on too, but... God has a plan, amen? Yeah. Amen. Open house, open house. So this week as I was preparing, I did what every good youth and young adult leader should do, and I googled open house. And so the definition 
of open house is a place or a situation in which all visitors are welcome. So what can we do as a family to make people feel welcome? What can we do? What do you do when people come over and you want to host people well? What, what can we do? Just call out a few things. Cook? Clean? Smile? Great, that's good. Anything else? Be warm. Say hello, that's awesome. So we're being hospitable, aren't we? Who knows it's good to be hospitable in the house of the Lord? Let's see what the Bible says. In Romans 12, verses 9 to 13 in the ESV, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Everybody say hospitality. For those of you who don't know, I have the amazing privilege of being able to live with Pastor Brad and Sarah. And I've learned from lots of their wisdom, you know, just watching how they do things, watching how they, you know, respond to things. But something that they do exceptionally well is they are extremely hospitable. They are like the best, the best hospitality I've ever seen in my life. It's amazing. So today I'm going to share with you three things that I have observed from their hospitality that we can apply in the house of the Lord. So one, can everybody say, be prepared? Be prepared. So when Pastor Brad and Sarah are going to invite their family over for like a family dinner or something like that, they make the invite and they follow it up. So they'll, you know, call their mom, whoever it is, you know, do you want to come over? Then the week off, they'll be like, oh, you, you know, you're still coming over, you know, just to confirm. You know, when it comes time for people to come over, if Sarah's left a toy on the floor or something, they'll pick that up, they'll put it into Zara's room, make sure everything's nice and clean. They light candles, they put on background music, they set the lighting to create a, create a great atmosphere, and they prepare fruit platters and prepare dinner. If we want to ensure that we are showing hospitality in the house of God, as it says we should in Romans, we must ensure that we are prepared. You know, to be prepared, it takes an element of proactivity, as Dan was talking about. It's something that we have to be serious about. To, com- uh, to cultivate an open house at church, we need to invite people. Um, you know, and we need to be open to the prompting of the Lord. I know that when I was 17, I was like, you know, doing my teenage thing, and I didn't really have a revelation of what it was to have a relationship with God yet. And so I was like, God was moving in my life and, you know, showing me different signs and stuff. And then this one day, this girl, she was only 19, I was 17 at the time, she just messaged me and she just encouraged me and you know, she just sent this beautiful message to me. And that was one of the reasons that I went back to church two weeks later, gave my heart to God and I've been going to church ever since. She listened to the prompting of the Lord and that was the reason, one of the many reasons that I came back to church. So we have to listen to the promptings of the Lord. You know, we need to prepare ourselves spiritually. You know, as Dan said, we have six days to prepare in, in the week. You know, to be able to pour out into the lives of others, we need to make sure that we ourselves are filled. You know, has anyone tried to, like, pour anything out of, like, an open jug? Like, you're, miss, you know, trying to get all the milk out of the jug to have a coffee or whatever, and there's not much left. It's pretty hard to pour stuff out of something that's empty. So we need to position ourselves to be filled by the Holy Spirit before we come to church so that we're able to pour into others. On a practical level, level, we need to make sure our church is clean and looking great. Who likes a clean house? 
amazing teams that do a great job at clean, keep, keeping this house clean, but who knows that we're a family here? We're a family, and so it's all of our responsibility to make sure things are clean. If you see something that needs to be done, you know, we should be doing it. Now, being prepared is undeniably one of the most important responsibilities we have as God's children when encouraging people to encounter Jesus. I believe that if we live a life where we are in a state of constant readiness to usher people into his presence, then we will make differences in people's lives that have eternal results. Everybody say eternal results. Okay, so my first one was to be prepared. Secondly, they warmly welcome. So when Pastor Brad and Sarah, when some, you know, somebody comes to their house, they go downstairs, they open the door, they're like, hey guys, you know, warm, warm smile, they lead them upstairs, personally lead them, and they offer them a drink, they offer to serve them. In 1 Peter 4 verses 9 in the Amplified, it says, practice hospitality to one another, those of the household of faith. Be hospitable, be a lover of strangers with brotherly affection for the unknown guests, the foreigners, the poor, and all others who come your way who are oppressed body. And in each instance, do it ungrudgingly, quarterly, and graciously without complaining, but as representing him. When we practice hospitality, we have the great privilege of representing God. We know it's important to represent God well. <laughs> and, you know, in Forever Young, everybody knows that um, I usually do an exercise and an activity with everybody. So today I'm going to do something a little bit, you know, more downscale. But I just want everybody for 10 seconds to just close your eyes where you're at and just ask God, how can I represent you well? Just for 10 seconds. Just ask God in your heart, how can I represent you well? open your eyes now. You know, it's important that we are asking God these questions because it helps us become more effective when we're welcoming people into God's house. You know, welcome, welcoming warmly actually requires a level of deliberateness. You have to be deliberate and intentional as Dan spoke about as well. <laughs> we have to be purposeful, church. Who knows that if we just left it up to our flesh, we probably feel like wouldn't feel like being warm and welcoming. You know, oh, gosh. I had a bad morning, the dogs got out, I had to run up the street in my pajamas. I just don't feel like you know talking to these people. <laughs> Someone cut me off in traffic, you have no idea. You have no idea how frustrated I am. You know, if we leave it up to the flesh, we're not going to do what we need to do. It's a perfect opportunity for us to put off the flesh and take up the spirit. In Galatians 5.17, it says that the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. We cannot just allow ourselves to be led by how we feel. We need to be deliberate. Everybody say deliberate. Okay. Number three. Pastor Brad and Sarah always make their guests feel loved. So, you know, they've made the invite. They've prepared. You know, they've went to the front door. They've warmly welcomed them. They've got them a drink. They've served them. And then they sit down and they say, you know, how are you going? How are you going? And they're genuinely interested in how they are going. You know, to love is one of the greatest things that we have been commanded to do. In 1 John 4 8, it says, Anyone who does not know, does not love, does not know God, because God is love. In 1 John 4 19, it says, We love because He first loved us. You know, people usually won't remember what you've said, might not even remember what you've done, but they will always remember how you've made them feel. You know, it's so easy to get busy thinking about everything that needs to be done. But as people representing Jesus, we need to intentionally love like Jesus. 
In John 13, verses 34 to 35 in the Amplified, it says, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you too are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love and unselfish concern for one another. You know, I love the Amplified because it says unselfish concern for one another, like Dan spoke about so. <laughs> Love and unselfish concern for one another. It means we need to shift from an inward focus. We can't just look at ourselves more. We have to shift to that outward focus. You know, it says in Matthew 25, verse 40, that whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Who here loves God? Yes. We need to love his people, church. We need to love his people. We can't just wait for a warm, fuzzy feeling like, oh, I just feel like loving someone today. Like, <laughs> it has to be a lifestyle. It has to be ingrained into our habits. A few weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast, and it was this lady, and she was um, looking at how, talking about how we can increase our capacity. So she, was, she looked at some psychology and some you know, neurology or whatever, and she found out that everybody has about a three to four page um, capability to store information. So we all just have about three to four pages. But what sets people apart, people who have a greater capacity, compared to people who don't have a greater capacity, is the ability to form habits. You see, when we create a habit, it no longer becomes something that we have to consciously think about. For example, you know, this morning when you're brushing your teeth, you didn't think, oh, I need to get my toothbrush and I need to put one centimeter of toothpaste and then I'll go round and round. No, you didn't think about what you were doing. You just brushed your teeth because it's become a habit. You know, I believe that we can apply this to loving well. We need to make it a habit of taking time after the service to connect with new people. We need to make it a habit of praying with people. We need to make it a habit of asking how people are and how we can help them. God loves people and people matter. Let's make it a habit to take time to invest into others. So let's remember, one, we need to be prepared. Two, we need to warmly welcome. And three, we need to love well. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce, give a big warm welcome to Chris. Good morning, everyone. How are we? Wow. Man, that's uh, hard to follow. I was sitting here thinking, oh man, why am I going to last? It's all good. That's good, amen. Okay. Wow, what great messages, actually. I was sitting there and actually I'm going to cover quite a bit of the same points as well. <laughs> so I hope you guys are getting the message. <laughs> but at the same time, I learned a lot, you know. Um, We've got the same, obviously, the same brief, and, and we've coming, uh, we're covering a bit of the same ground, but probably from different angles, I think. And so I learned a lot by listening, and hopefully you guys are getting a lot out of it too. You know, as Christians, as sons and daughters of the house of God, we're called to share what we have in here with the world around us. You know, we're not called to just come here and, and do this and keep it here, and when we leave here, that's where it stays. You know, we're not called that. We're not called to do that. In Matthew 28, 18, the Bible says, Go and make disciples of all nations. Yeah. What does that mean? That means sharing the good news. Yeah. And it is good news, but do we treat it as good news? Do we approach it ourselves, within ourselves, as good news? Do we come here on a Sunday morning and a Friday night and sometimes on a Wednesday night? Do we come here expecting to hear good news? 
Or do we just come here to tick a box, you know? Because, you know, what we, how we approach and how we receive what goes on in the house of God is how we reflect that when we leave here. You know, so we go out here and your friend says at work, how was your weekend? And then you say, oh, Saturday was awesome. I watched some sport and, and then we went to the movies and then uh, and Sunday, oh, we just did some cleaning. And then, yeah, and then I'm here this morning. You know, is that what we do? What do we even say? Oh, church, I went to church, it was all right. You know, this church gets a mention. So how we receive and approach our relationship with God and the good news that we are talking about here is how we reflect it and how people then, if we want to invite someone, they think, I don't want to go to that. You don't sound pumped about it. You know, if you're going to the football on Friday night and you invite your friend, you're going to be pumped. Like, this team's playing and we're just going to watch them smash the other guys. They're going to go because you're pumped about it because they all want to see the same thing, you know? So if church feels like a chore to you, then what you reflect about the house of God to others is that it's not good news. You won't be excited and you won't be ready to include others. Because if you're not excited, are you going to invite someone to something you're not pumped about? Do you invite people to come and help you clean your house? Maybe we should do that. I need someone to come. people in your life perceive God as entirely dependent on how you react to God and present God and present the truth of the gospel. So who's excited to be here then? Yeah. Woo! I was expecting to have to repeat that, but you were very excited. Yeah, so we're a family of believers. You know, the word gets preached out. We get to come and see each other. I always get pumped about it. It's the highlight of my week, a lot of weeks. Um, yeah, I have an exciting week. Well, I don't just think I'm doing nothing. I do fun stuff, but this is part of it. You know, I always get pumped about Sunday mornings and about Friday nights. And God is a joyful God. You know, God, He invented joy. He wants us to be joyful. And I feel like sometimes we forget that when we come to church. So I've got some scriptures about joy. Psalm 47 says, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Um, one, uh, Isaiah 9 says, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. So that means as excited about food. You know, as excited about God as about food. That's pretty awesome. And they rejoice as the warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. I mean, plunder. That's pretty exciting too. So we need to be that excited. Excited. Um, 1 Peter 1 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So you're saved. You know, maybe we should act like this. Why am I saying all this? Salt and light. What does this have to do? Why Why does all of this joy and stuff have to do with open house? It has everything to do with open house. If we aren't excited about the house of God, we'll close it down. We'll close it down in here. We'll close it down with our words. We'll, we won't invite people. We won't share it. We won't be excited. And we will not overflow with anything that's different to what's already up. The gospel is for everyone. That's my second 
phrase is my message here. The gospel is for everyone. In Acts 10, the whole chapter of Acts 10, pretty much, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to sort of give you the, what was it, Australian standard version. I'm going to give you the Kiwi standard version. I'll save this bro, Peter. So we have Peter and Cornelius. Does anybody know the story? So Cornelius is a Roman centurion, and he's a Gentile, right? And he's not a Christian, but he prays, and, and he gives to the poor. Meanwhile, there's Peter, not that far away, about a day's walk, and he's relaxing one afternoon, waiting for the food to get ready, and he has a dream. And he has a dream. Uh, in that dream, there's uh, some animals, and God says, get up and kill and eat. And he's like, oh, right, like, I don't want to eat anything unclean. And so God says, no, don't you say that something is unclean that I've made clean. And so he wakes up, and that gets repeated a couple of times in Peter's dream, and he wakes up and he's thinking about it. Meanwhile, from Cornelius' house, some people have been sent, three guys, right? And they come and they're trying to find Peter. And so they knock on the door, and, and God says to Peter, get up, those people are here to see you. So he goes down there, and here's these three Gentiles, right? Peter, a Jew, here's three Gentiles standing at his door. And they say, we've been sent by Cornelius, he's a good guy, he prays, he gives to the poor, he's respected by all these people, and he wants you to come and talk to him. And Peter says, the penny drops for Peter. Okay, it's not, the dream wasn't about food. It was about these Gentiles here. You see, so in that culture, we read this sometimes, we read these stories, and we don't understand that then Peter inviting those three into his house was a big deal. You know, we think, oh, three folks came over and he just had them over for the night and then he went with them. But that's not what it was like. That was a big step. When they stepped into his house, when he opened his house to them, and then the next day a whole bunch of them went over to Cornelius' place, including Peter, both of those stepping into the house was a big deal. Because it broke prejudice. It broke Peter's prejudice about who the gospel was for. And if we stand here with prejudice about who the gospel is for, we're not going to invite people in who we need to invite And it was amazing because in the early church, like I said, at that stage, it's pretty much Christianity was exclusively for the Jews. But Peter, uh, Cornelius got saved that day, so Peter went around there, and he preached the gospel to uh, Cornelius, and he said, look, it's against my law to come into your house, but God has shown me that no one is unclean, so I'm going to come in and I'm going to share. And so he went around there, he shared, Cornelius got saved, a whole bunch of his family and people got saved, and the Gentiles started to take on the gospel. And we now live in the fruit of that. So, open house. The gospel is for everybody. People, are, people out there are seeking, but are you ready to share? You know, again, Cornelius wasn't a Christian, but he was looking for God. He was praying. He didn't know anything about Jesus, but he was praying and he was doing all he could, but then Jesus... You know, when people search, God will come to them. Come to them. Are we prepared to be the ones bringing God? Yeah. People are out there seeking, but are we ready to share? Are you ready to show what God has done and what He can do? Everybody go like this. And say to yourself, is my house open? And is your house open? Because like Dan was saying, the open house starts right here. You know, we can do what we like in here, 
Pastor Brad can come here and preach choir from up here every week. And the worship team can just, well, actually, speaking of the worship team, I'd like to invite them up if that's possible. Um, the worship team can just bring the best songs you've ever heard week after week, but if we're not open and we're not sharing and we're not creating an atmosphere here that's welcome, then. This house, Forever House, we know we've been really good at that, but we can always improve. You know, we can always be more open. We can always make ourselves more accessible to the people around us. I love what Dan said about there being a six-day preparation period. That's great. That's so good. I'm going to have to remember that. Um, So, as I wrap it up here, um, those people at your work, they need Jesus. Those people in your sports team, they need Jesus. The people at your supermarket that feed your groceries, they need Jesus too. They all need Jesus, and there's none of them that are not worthy to hear about. Everybody needs to hear about. And it's not like, uh, I'm going to preach to this guy because I get on with him, but that other guy at my work, he's difficult. I don't like him. I'm not going to swear with him. We need to pray for opportunities to share. We need to be prepared to share. We need to live with an open house here seven days a week. Jesus died and he rose again for all of those people. And you know, God keeps sharing with me as I, like Pastor Brad said before, I'm overseeing the new people department. And every, almost every day I pray about it, God says, shows to me the value of one. You know, God died no less for anyone out there than he did for me. Than he did for the queen. Than he did for anybody else. You know, in God's eyes, we all have the value of one. And he died and rose again for that one. And so don't look at anybody else as less less worthy of hearing the good news than, than yourself. Or than the people already in this room. Because they're not. They're... Of equal value. So let's create an atmosphere. I would just like to finish this by um, welcoming you. I'm inviting you actually all up to the front. We're a family here, so we're going to come and gather as a family up the front. And the worship team is going to lead us in that final song that we sung today. And I just want to issue a challenge. I just want to issue a challenge to all of us this morning as, uh, as I wrap it up. Is your house open? You know, are we open in our hearts? Are we prepared to share what we have with others? Are we prepared to live six days a week in preparation for the seventh day? Are we? You know, I think that's a serious challenge. I'm talking to myself here too. Am I really bringing it? So this morning as we uh, just go um, sing this song again, as a family up the front, if you're new here, feel free to come up. Nobody bites.